So today I was planning to talk about the first jhana. And then I and then tomorrow I was going to talk about um playing and working in in any jhana but also out of any jhana or playing and working in and out of any jhana. And then I decided actually I'll combine those two really because they kind of interrelate as two themes. So the first jhana, as well as playing and working in and out of jhana in general, as one talk. Um, and then after that, the teachings will get a lot more, a lot less dense. So there'll be a bit more breathing room in terms of how much material is, well, there should be a lot more breathing room in terms of how much material is coming at you. Um, it's slightly complicated by the fact that I have a hospital appointment tomorrow and I have no idea how long that's going to take. So I hope that it won't be complicated, that I can go there, come back and finish, if I don't finish today, the second part of the talk. Um, maybe, I, maybe we'll finish today. Maybe it will have to get bumped till the day after tomorrow. Maybe I can come tomorrow. So let's, let's see how we do, but just so you know that. Forgetting something. No? Okay. Okie doke. So, first jhana and playing and working in and out of any jhana, really, uh, mostly. So, first jhana, I've read this already, is the, the, the Buddha's, um, let's start with the simile. Just, s just as a skilled bathman or his assistant kneading the soap powder, kneading the soap powder, so working the soap powder, which he has sprinkled with water, forms from it in a metal dish a soft lump, so that the ball of soap powder becomes one, there's an English word here, I don't even know what it means, I think it means one oily mass, bound with oil so that nothing escapes. So this practitioner suffuses, drenches, fills and irradiates their body so that no spot remains untouched. Uh, and fills and irradiates, suffuses, etc., their body with what? With this, have to with the piti and sukha born of detachment. Detachment from what? Detachment from the hindrances. That's what detachment means in this case. So with this, it's funny, if you look at older translations, there's all kinds of different uh, translations of piti and sukha. So I'm going to spend a little time on some Pali words uh, today, but... So with this piti and sukha, born of detachment, detachment from the hindrances, or sometimes the seclusion from the hindrances, withdrawal from the hindrances, uh, she so suffuses, drenches, fills and irradiates her, her body that there is no spot in her entire body that is untouched by this delight, oh, here we go, by this piti and sukha, born of, born of detachment. Okay? So the soap simile is really a simile for what we do with the piti and sukha. Suffuse, saturate, steep, drench, irradiate, pervade, permeate, all these words. Uh, we do that with the piti and sukha. With the piti and sukha translates best, I think, as, let's say, happiness, I would say. Um, in the first jhana, the piti is the primary quality. I'm going to come back to this. The sukha is there, and one is definitely 
one's definitely not unhappy. One is conscious that one is happy, but actually even the consciousness that one is happy, very, very happy, might be a little bit in the background. One's more kind of uh, taken by, captivated by, and should be uh, concentrating on the PT. The PT is what is foremost in consciousness. So when, uh, in other, so the Buddha has these similes, and other times for each jhana, he, des he describes them in terms of their factors, what's called jhana factors, jhana janga, and in Pali. And um, so piti and sukha, two Pali words, they're two of, the two of the five factors of the first jhana. There's five factors in the, in the first jhana, piti and sukha are uh, two of them. Another one is ekagata, and actually it's a factor of every jhana. Ekagata in Pali. Um, this usually gets translated as one-pointedness. I've already touched on this. It cannot, it absolutely cannot, there's no way that it can mean putting the mind in a small spatial point. Now, you might do that. In fact, you probably will do that at times in a jhana if you're playing with this probing, receiving, open, uh, directed, uh, shifting of the modes of attention, but it cannot mean one-pointedness in, in a spatial sense because it's a factor of, as I said, the fifth jhana has that fact. How could it, which is infinite space? So this, you realize there's a complete contradiction, right? If you, if you take it as a spatial point, it doesn't make sense, right? So what does it mean? Eka one uh, in the Sanskrit, agra, and ta is just a, a ness on the end, is one, I can understand why it's one-pointedness, it's, it's something like a mountain peak or a prominence, okay? And of course, some, some mountains are quite pointy um, like that. But what it really, what's best translated as something like, I think, one thing is prominent. Eka, prominentness. Okay, one thing is prominent. So, what is that one thing that becomes prominent that people argue about this? Is it the original meditation object? Is it the breath? Is it the body that becomes prominent, the sense of the body, or is it the PT? I would say that in jhana, what happens is they all get mixed together. As I said, one becomes, I'm breathing PT if you're still with the breath, if the breath is still there, or the body has become PT. Or it's just the PT is what's prominent. So I would say the PT is what's prominent. It's in 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 a way it's then it's the most in a way it's the most significant factor of the first jhana. Let's say that. So PT is the thing that's most prominent to consciousness. It's not that other other things, other aspects, other. Uh, dimensions or, or no, other aspects of the jhana won't come into consciousness. They will, but the, the, m the most prominent thing and what should be the most prominent thing is the PT. Okay, so PT and sukha, two factors, ekagata, a third factor. I'm not saying these in the order they're usually presented. Then there's two more factors, which get to in Pali, vitaka and vichara. Now most of you, will pr if you've heard these terms before, any translation, you will hear you will have heard translations, initial and sustained application. Who's heard that before? Really, really common. Uh, certainly what I uh, was taught for many years. 
Um, my original meditation, one of my original meditations, I was originally taught by a group of teachers. One of them was a professor of Pali, is a professor of Pali. So not professor of Buddhism, not even a professor of Theravadan Buddhism, but a professor of Pali. Okay, so that's his thing. And he said, that's not what it meant at the time of the Buddha. At that time, that's not how those words were used. Vitaka and vichara just meant something like thinking. They w it was a double, I don't know in English, do we have a kind of double verb? You always say this and this. <laughs> no, but I mean, as a phrase, it doesn't matter. So it was a stock phrase in Pali, and it just meant thinking originally. About 500 years after the Buddha in Sri Lanka, um, a guy, a monk called Buddha Gosa, wrote a book called the Visuddhimagga, which translates as the path of purification. In some Theravadan countries, it's regarded as a Bible. It's really revered, this book. And, um, and in some other countries, much, much less so. Uh, the story goes that he... Actually, it was a compilation. What he did was interview lots of meditation masters, take what they had, um, I heard this obviously secondhand. I wasn't there. Um, take what take what they gave him. Threw out what he didn't like, although he himself was not much of a meditator. Threw out what he didn't like, burnt what he threw out, and kept the rest. I don't know if that's true, but I've, I've heard that. Um, anyway, he, I think, if, I, if the history is right, he translates it in Abhidhamma, which is a kind of um, sort of. Uh, technical, psychological bureaucracy of Theravadan Buddhism, also translates it as initial and sustained application. But at the time of the Buddha, that's not how those words were used. There are okay translations, actually, to a certain extent. At a certain point in your practice, if you, if you keep those translations, it should occur to you this doesn't really make sense once you get into the other jhanas. But it's okay. And at a certain point, they stop kind of making much sense. But to a certain extent, it's really okay. So initial application means bringing my mind to whatever it is, the breath. I bring the mind. The initial application, sustained application, means in the sense I stay there and I probe it and I, and I, I become intimate with it. So that's usually the explanation that's given on Vipassana retreats and on, I guess, quite a lot of jhana retreats. One of my main teachers, Ajahn Jeff, translates them as directed thought and evaluative thought. It's a very different translation. And what he means really is um, uh, attending to whatever the object is and thinking about it. So this is in the first jhana, thinking about the breath, thinking about the energy body, thinking about the well-being or the pleasure. What would help right now? What, what would be helpful? How should I shift my emphasis? How should I view the breath? What way of looking should I play with? Um, and relates the word uh, vichara, the second of those terms, to, dhamma, to vichaya, which is, some of you will know, the part dhamma vichaya is the second factor of the seven, seven factors of awakening, the investigation. So there's a kind of investigative thinking about that's going on in the first jhana. At least, I would say, at least sometimes. Okay. So we've got, for these two terms, we've got the possibility of the most popular translation and interpretation, initial and sustained application. The second one is just thinking. And the third one is directed and evaluative thinking, 
which really means this kind of creative, like what's, what's helping right now? How should I play with this? Which shall we choose? How do, what are we going to do here? I, I, do you want to know what I think? <laughs> <laughs> I think forget about it. <gasps> forget about those terms anyway. Just throw them out. It doesn't make any... Of course you're going to be initial and sustained application. Of course you are. Just don't worry about it. If you're thinking about the meditation, great. You know, and, that, and we've talked about that. If you're working with PT, great. It's fine. Um, I think, I think it's actually not that helpful. There's all this argument and tussle about it. And um, again, it's like, what's actually important here? I could say, at times, the first jhana can include thinking about how the meditation uh, is going, what's helpful, etc. But thinking, it's not the kind of thinking, I suck at this. <laughs> I bet everyone else in here is in the eighth jhana. I just should go home. Not that kind of thinking. Okay? It's, if there's thinking, it's about what's happening. It's a very subtle, kind of responsive, intelligent connected thinking about the practice. Maybe, like, like people ask me as a jazz musician, do you think when you play, you're improvising, do you think, or is it, it's like, well, yeah, but it's a different kind of thought. I'm not sort of pondering long sentences, or a painter really in the, in the flow with their art. Are they thinking or not thinking? Well, there may well be a certain thought, absolutely in part of the, part of the flow. We'll come back to this later when we talk about deeper jhanas, because one question we have is, what is a thought anyway? We'll come back to that. Um, so I would, I would, for what it's worth, my f- two cents on this is, is forget about it. Just get into it. Just get into it. And this whole, what does that mean, will take care of itself. Just get into, in this case, get into the PT. Enjoy it. Um, get intimate with it as much as you can. Uh, the fullness of, of connection with it. Spreading it. Really opening to enjoying it. Seeing how much you can enjoy it. If you just do that, don't worry about is there thinking or just get into it more and that it becomes a non-question what, what it really is. And then even in the second jhana, as you move to the second jhana, so one of the, in a way, factors of the second jhana is the dropping away of thinking. So it's a kind of a factor of an absence, if you like. Um, but if I'm checking, am I thinking? Have there been any thoughts yet? Or if I'm measuring... Um, how long I've not been thinking or whether there's been thinking or if I'm trying not to think. Um, this, this, I would say, is not such intelligent practice for a number of reasons, one of which I've put, I'm putting my emphasis on the, on the least significant factor, the least helpful factor of the second jhana. The least helpful factor of the second jhana. I'm going to come back to this, obviously, when we talk about the second jhana. So, I think I've said already, um, I think, or it seems, it seems from m- my experience teaching, that if you can get to the first jhana, I used to think, then actually all the jhanas are available to you, wi- with, with a lot of work. Um, so if you can get to the jhana, you can master, in the sense that I uh, mean it, you can master all jhanas. It will take a, a long time, and a lot of work, and a lot of dedication, but it's possible if that's the sort of thing that you want. I actually would like to revise that, and I mentioned this, and actually say, if PT can arise, you can do all that. If PT can arise, there's no reason you can't um, 
attain the first jhana and, and then and then have all the jhanas. So actually, the arising of PT is should give you a lot of confidence. It's saying the road is clear, it's open. All you have to do is walk. Yeah, it might be hard at times. It's a long way. You're going to need a lot of ingenuity. You're going to need a lot of dedication. It's open. There's nothing in the way for you. That road is open. Who's heard another Pali word, nimitta? Oh, quite a lot. Okay. So, do you understand by nimitta something in the context of jhana practice, something like the appearance of a visual, a luminous visual form with some detail in it that you can then concentrate on that will take you into jhana? Yes? Okay. Again, the Buddha never used that word. Um, he uses the word nimitta, but never, never, ever in that way. Again, it comes from the Visuddhimagga, etc. Um, it, in English, it's often translated as counterpart sign, or it is in the old translations. I'm not even sure how it's, tran how it's translated now. Um, in the Pali Canon, meaning in the, in the words of the Buddha, he does use that word, but more he uses it as object of perception. Any object of perception in meditation is a nimitta. Sometimes I think he uses it as... Um, in a way that would translate as something like theme, a theme of meditation, I think. Um, in the Mahayana teachings, and it's the same word in Sanskrit, nimitta, it has the additional meaning of ground or base, and that's connected with emptiness teachings and teachings about groundlessness, etc. So it had quite a different spin than in Mahayana teachings. Um, sign, though, is quite... We can use that word, so I don't mind using it, it's fine, I don't mind if you want to use it, but I would like to use it in a slightly different way, as sign. So that's usually the translated, nimitta means sign. Um, and it's, what is it? It's a sign that the samadhi is deepening. Any sign that samadhi is deepening. So the arising of piti is a sign that samadhi is deepening. The arising of sukha, of happiness, is a sign that samadhi is deepening. The arising of a really kind of... Um, almost otherworldly, pristine, uh, pure, luminous stillness is also a sign. It's uh, the arising of the perception of space as a very clear perception is a sign at different levels that the um, samadhi is deepening. Some people get, uh, get also, for instance, um, they're meditating, and then at some point it's, it's almost like a, a, a white golden light is very common, like white golden suffused light or kind of cloud of light in, in the mind. Well, sometimes some person's not sure, they're meditating and, the, and they're like, did the sun just come out? Because it, everything's just got very bright. So this too, that white kind of light um, uh, is also uh, a sign that the, the samadhi is deepening. But the primary nimitta, in other, again, the most important thing to put the attention on and the most important thing to, uh, for around, the around which the whole practice converges, in the, in the first jhana, the primary thing is, is uh, the, sorry, the primary nimitta is the PT, if you want to use that word. Okay? Um, the second jhana, the primary factor is the sukha, the happiness. We'll come back to that. So in the first jhana, in order to, his piti has arisen through one, one way or another, however it has arisen. Um, in order then to kind of consolidate it and move into an absorption in it, in 
which is the first jhana, what, what do we need to, uh, what, ne- what needs to be there and what do we need to do? So these are some of the things I, I want to address. Um, what kind of work, what kind of play? Um, how strong does the PT have to be? I think I've touched on this already. There's a huge range in terms of the intensity of the PT that's possible, massive uh, range. But it does need to be strong enough. It does need to be strong enough um, that it's definitely pleasurable before I can start working with it and, and trying to take that PT and kind of uh, mold it, shape it, allow it to open and take me into, into the first jhana. It needs to be strong enough which doesn't necessarily mean, you know, blow your head off. Um, it also needs to sustain long enough. I think I said this yesterday. Did I say that? Yes. So it needs to be around for, let's say, two or three minutes at least without, without going away. And two or three minutes, strong enough is definitely pleasant. Then it's ready. Then I can decide to take that as my primary object and really get into it and work and play. And there's the possibility that that moves into the first jhana. So I mentioned, I think I also mentioned this, it's it's good to uh, review it though. Um, In the first four jhanas, they're called rupa jhanas, which translates sometimes as form jhanas. Rupa rupa has a few different meanings, but let's say form. What's happening as we go through one, two, three, four is the perception of the body becomes more and more subtle. So that the happiness of the second jhana, it might be a super intense happiness. It might be a happiness I've never experienced so much joy in my life. But it's still, as an object, it's more refined than the PT. PT is, relatively speaking, gross. Like it's a coarse object, like a coarse cloth compared to a really fine cloth. So that's not the same thing as intensity. Do you get the difference? In the third jhana, the, pe- the, the, the particular kind of peacefulness that arises in the third jhana is, is really very, very subtle. That's part of its beauty. And it's more subtle than the happiness of the second jhana. And as you're pervading, saturating, suffusing, this is one way of saying what's happening is these primary, ni- primary factors, primary nimittas, the piti, the uh, sukha, the... Um, let's call it peacefulness for now, of the third jhana, the stillness of the fourth jhana. The body becomes them. They become the body. What's my body now? I don't have a sense of organs and solidity. So the usual solidity that we have of the body, hard bones and all that, and organs, etc., is more gross than the solidity, the refinement uh, of, of the PT, which is more gross than the sense of solidity or refinement, if we can even call it solidity at that point of the happiness, which do you get the sense? There's a there's a spectrum here of increasing refinement or subtlety of the perception of the body. And because I've drenched the few saturated permeate that my body has become PT. My body, breath, all that has become happiness. And there's a spectrum there of more refinement. When you get to the fifth jhana, the the any sense of form of body has disappeared and it's just space. In a way that's ultra-refined, right? It's like nothing. Um, PT is important, actually, in, in many ways. And it's one of the things I want to emphasize is it's important to keep it around and keep 
our access to it and keep it as something that we consider lovely and consider a as a resource. Even when I'm, I'm working in my play, my playground has become the seventh or eighth jhana or whatever. Sometimes what happens is we go into those formless jhanas when that's what you're working on, and then you want to come back, and I want to skip back from the eighth to the third or something like that, or the fourth. And, and the body vibration of stillness that's characteristic of the fourth, or peacefulness that's characteristic of the third, I can't find it. The whole perception has become so ultra-refined from the deeper formless jhanas that I, I can't find what I need to find to enter the fourth or third jhana. Because I need to find that particular vibration, that particular uh, bandwidth of refinement that is characteristic and prominent of the fourth or, th fourth or third jhana. So what can really help is that actually just go all the way back to the piti, the first one, and get that going a bit, and then the third or fourth will help, uh, will be more accessible. So, uh, again, wha what I want to say today has a uh, is not just uh, about the first jhana, it's about working and playing in general. And so y a lot of what I say will be um, relevant to whatever whatever stage one is at, will be relevant in years' time, etc. Um, sometimes it's possible uh, that the PT in particular is an acquired taste. Um, we're not actually sure how keen we are on it at first. Um, so that's definitely possible. It's actually possible with any jhana. That, that it can be we just fall in love with it right away and uh, uh, feel its loveliness, feel it as a resource, um, are super excited about it. Um, or it might be that it's an acquired taste. So this could potentially be for, for any jhana. What's an interesting thing that happens, I'd say, with the majority of people is that when they start working on the third jhana, which is this very peaceful, exquisite um, sort of serenity. Uh, that's one of the main characteristics of it. Then when you go back to the first jhana and the PT and all that, uh, it feels so coarse and one becomes a bit of a snob. Uh, so well, I don't want, I don't want anything to, to, to do with that. Um, because relatively speaking, it's actually quite gross um, relative to the third jhana. Still, I would say, in the context of the whole of jhana practice, um, we want to keep it. We want to, again, I might have to re-find my enjoyment of it. I might have to re-feel it as enjoyable and, and pleasurable. It's an interesting thing. Sometimes, and this is actually quite common, if a person, if a practitioner has done a lot of insight meditation practice, the order in which they experience the jhanas is, is, is not one, two, three, four, etc. Mostly the way insight meditation practice is taught is, you know, be mindful and things come up, watch them, let them go, watch them, let them go, watch them, let them go. In that being aware, being mindful and letting go, what am I cultivating there? I'm cultivating a kind of equanimity. And so what happens with many, many insight meditation, uh, years of practice, retreats, etc., one has actually kind of developed a groove in the citta towards equanimity. And equanimity in maybe not a jhanic state of equanimity, but maybe some kind of 
I need to explain something later on about different kinds of equanimity. We'll get to that another point. But basically, equanimity is is a common uh, hanging out place for the mind um, that's done a lot of insight meditation. And then what happens? One goes on a jhana retreat, and one wants to learn the jhanas. But what might happen is it just goes straight to, if not the fourth jhana, something akin to that, or one of the form, one of some sort of a quasi-formless state where maybe where the senses are open because. There are states that are like infinite space or infinite consciousness, but they're actually not those jhanas. The senses are still kind of, I'll explain the difference later, but uh, there's something akin to the four, five, six, for example. Um, and it's actually quite hard for that person to get piti, because again, piti is too agitated, and the mind has this groove to equanimity. So they find themselves in some state that's maybe not the fourth jhana or, or whatever, but maybe near enough that actually maybe, and this is the sort of thing I usually work out in an interview with a person, maybe it's good if we start with the fourth jhana. We take that stillness that you've got and we really hone it and, and uh, get it very consolidated, very bright, very powerful. And then master that and then go backwards. So the order of mastery doesn't happen one, two, three, four. I feel like I've said that very clumsily, but does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so a lot of you have done a lot of insight practice as well. It's, it's interesting. Um, it's just something to be aware of. There can be this real, almost like habit towards equanimity. And sometimes that habit can be both entrenched enough, but also powerful enough. In other words, that, that you keep finding yourself in a territory that's closer to the fourth. If my larger view is, uh, well, let's say something else. Sometimes a person skips the second jhana, which is characterized by a lot of happiness. And there may be all kinds of psychological reasons for that. Or the PT, you know, um, just a bit resistant to that. We touched on this yesterday. Um, in terms of the arupa jhanas, the formless jhanas, again, doesn't necessarily go five, six, seven, eight. For me, if I remember back, I think the sixth one was easier than the fifth, and I kind of was trying to do them, learn them both at the same time. And um, but certain minds, dependent on their inclinations and experience and trainings, will will find different of the formless jhanas also easier than others. And maybe it's okay to. I don't think anyone will find the eighth jhana easier than others, but maybe it's okay to um, follow the order in which things open up for you. But I retain my uh, my vision of where are we going with this. So it's like a it's like um, you know imagine a, a sort of square, checkoff square for mastery of of each of the eight jhanas. Can I? really s hang out and sustain? Can I marinate? Can I get it at will? Can I jump around from it? And you got, okay, eventually what I want is to look at that square for each of the eight jhanas and all those mastery skills and just have them all ticked. The order in which that ticking happens maybe doesn't matter so much. You understand? So it, it kind of depends. Now, I haven't so far heard that from anyone on the retreat, but it's, I encounter it quite commonly as, as, a, as a teacher. Um, the past tendency and experience in meditation, grooves in meditation, actually very much affect what opens up when and in what order. But we do want this differentiation. We really, really, it's so, so important. This is this and that's that. 
This is the second jhana and that's the third jhana. This is the first jhana and that's the second. This is piti and that's sukha, whatever it is. Um, it's part of the, the cultivation, the development of sensitivity. Without that differentiation, as I said, something will kind of grind to a soupy, squidgy halt at some point. It will be nice, but the possibility of really deepening insight will be, will be limited. So each jhana to the next jhana is, is kind of like a quantum leap. It's kind of like I'm in a different realm now. And, and mostly that's the, that's the experience. There's a, there's a, you know what a quantum leap means? It means there's nothing in between. Here's something and here's something and it's not that there's anything in between. I'm just here and then suddenly I'm here. Yeah, Qu quantum leap. Um, mostly that's the experience. They're, they're discrete quantum, quantumly differentiated states. But sometimes it will seem to you as much more of a spectrum. Like, ac no, actually it is a continuum. Sometimes it will, it will be experienced that way. And we can also view it that way. But I would say uh, it's really important to have this discrete sense of, of quantum, leap, quantum leaps between states. Okay. Um, one really large point, which I mentioned, I think, in... Uh, I don't know, one of, the, one of the first two talks. Um, rather than am I in or out of a jhana, can I just be thinking about jhana practice? It's, a, it's quite a different shift. So that means, for instance, the hindrances are part of jhana practice. The place when I'm not sure whether I'm in or out, it doesn't really matter. The place where I said those terriers were sort of, I can just hear them yapping, maybe they feel, they do feel distant, they're on the edge of the consciousness, it's still jhana practice, okay? And if I have that view, it's gonna be much, much more fruitful, much more intelligent. So I have this view of a big picture of jhana practice, which includes a huge range of territory of experience not just these uh, sharply defined so-called eight jhanas, but the whole territory, the gray areas, the I'm clearly in a hell realm now, um, the, the, the whatever, even the, the way I walk around outside, which I'll come to in between formal sittings, it's jhana practice, because I'm walking around outside in a different way than I would if I was doing a Mahasi retreat, a Goenka retreat, if I was just hanging out, if I was on my way to work. So this is this is huge, actually. This view. Um, so what that means is there's work, as I said when I introduced the talk today. There's work or play, dependent on your favourite word, in and out, on and off the cushion, but also in and out of ajana. What's quite common: the first time you enter an, what's a new jhana for you. Let's say the first time you hit the first jhana or the second jhana or whatever, what's quite common is that it seems completely effortless. First, maybe a few times the, in, that, in that new realm. You've made that quantum jump and it seems completely effortless. There's no, the idea of working there or doing something or playing with something seems just uh, a million miles away. It certainly, doesn't, it certainly won't even occur to you um, if, if you haven't been told about it. But if you're really, again, if you're really marinating, if you're just skipping through jhanas really fast, you won't notice this. You'll miss um, 
almost you'll miss 99% of what's valuable about jhanas. You're just skipping right through, and it's like it's like like I said, skipping. I've seen the Taj Mahal. I went there and I pointed my phone at it while I was looking at something else. If you hang out, if you really marinate, if you really start working and playing and bringing all your sensitivity and intelligence and awareness and openness and getting really intimate and getting to know them, after a few times at a new level that you've broken to, you start to realize, oh, there is work to do here or there is play to do. There's lots to do, but it's very, very subtle. We're talking about very subtle work play mostly. Um, Yeah, definitely mostly. so if you still feel it's a completely effortless state where you can't do anything, it's actually that in your, you're in some kind of unconsciousness. And it's not, it's not going to be very helpful. It's not going to deep. It, it's not going to be very helpful in your life, etc. So sometimes uh, then, then the work begins. Okay, I've had my little holiday of this new level at this new level, and then the, the work and the play begins. And I get used to this very, but what is it for the mind to really work in the most delicate ways, to really play in the most delicate ways, to learn about this jhana, to consolidate it, to deepen it, etc., to learn about its different uh, spaces, levels, textures, aspects. It can also be the case, and it commonly is the space case, that um, when we reach a new, when consciousness reaches a new level, when the chitta reaches a new level, it's a bit like a dam bursting. The first, again, the first experience, the first jhana, the second jhana, it's as if water has just, a dam has just, uh, you know, broken apart and the water is just gushing through. It's, it can be very, very intense. And then again, as I get used to that jhana, uh, it seems to get less intense, the experience. Or, or it often can. So, what, do, what work, what, what play, what's involved there? Um, the principle of moving between these modes of attention, the, the probing, the receiving, the, the wider, the, the narrower, etc. And that's part of the work. Again, it's quite subtle, but it's part of the work. There's something active in a jhana. Um, there are other modes of attention that's possible. You know, I could wrap the, the jhanic quality around the body and dissolve it in or dissolve my body out. Uh, there's many things. Play. Find, find modes of attention that work. So, have, you know, creative. Even if I say, um, savor, you know, whatever is the primary nimitta, the primary factor of that, like, like the piti in the first jhana, to really relish it, to really savor it, actually involves a kind of active work. It's not just, uh, if I really want to relish it to the max, I actually have to play with how I'm relating to it. So there's an acronym that some of you who've met over the years with me individually uh, have heard. Um, What do I need? When I'm in a jhana, I need to know what do I need to do now? As I said, at first it's I don't do anything. I'm just there. It's going along. I'm going along on this momentum of the water through the burst dam. I'm not doing anything. I'm just like, wow, 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 wow. Um, after a while, you see, oh, hold on, there is work to do, etc. What's the work that I have to do? What's important and what's not important? Because what's important tells me what work I have to do. What's not important, it's not part of the work that I have to do. So there's a, is acronym the right word when you have like initials for, yeah? Sassy. Sassy. S A 
S-S-S-I-E. S-A-S-S-I-E. So I'm not just sitting there, I'm, I'm doing something. Don't just sit there, do something. Isn't that the name of the book? No, it's the other way around. <laughs> Don't just sit there, do something. Sometimes. Sometimes you can go into non-doing, but it's, again, that's really in the, in the larger context, just a mode. It's just a mode. So, SASI, S-A-S-S-I-E. First S stands for suffusion, as the Buddha said, suffusing, saturating the whole body. So this is one of the things I'm working towards. Once the PT is there, I'm working towards make sure, or can I encourage, can I help the whole body space to be su- completely homogeneously suffused and saturated by, this, by the PT. At some point, it will be suffused and saturated. Okay, It's just done. And then, uh, that job is done. There's nothing more to do. It's done. What, what else am I going to do? It's suffused and saturated, right? So it's done. And we've talked about ways of, of playing with that and what to do when, when it doesn't quite work. Uh, the A, Sassy, the second one, A. A for absorption. So um, sometimes, I don't know if you've had this experience, sometimes it's almost as if the PT can feel, or the whatever it is, the happiness, or whatever, can feel almost like in front of you a little bit. As you've got the, your chitta and body are here somehow, and it's kind of in front, uh, kind of, or something like that. We're aiming to... Uh, can I get more absorbed in it? Can I put myself and put the chitta kind of more inside it so I'm kind of uh, really uh, feel like I'm, I'm in something? Now to me, I would say that absorption, uh, there's no limit to it. There's no limit to it. So, oh, I want to say something else about the suffusion. Can we can I say that there and come back to the absorption? Is that okay? Yeah. So um, when I'm trying to suffuse, I'm not looking. I'm not like looking, feeling around my body which spaces are not, don't have PT. That that was almost like turning your attention to the negative a little bit. Um, uh, it's more like just. Uh, don't take it away from the PT. You know, and look, are obsessed with what's wrong. Just let the let the PT spread, spread it out, like you're spreading, you know, jam on toast or whatever. Um, rather than attending to the negative, remember how that that subtle uh, that subtle inclination of mind to towards negativity, towards what's wrong, towards not quite good enough. So, eventually, as I said. Um, when we become more and more familiar with PT and more and more familiar with moving in and out of the first jhana, um, the PT will be spread every time. It's just normal. And eventually, when we're more and more familiar with it, uh, with the PT, as I mentioned yesterday, and I put a lot of emphasis on this, we can start, if we want, sometimes, to, to see pain, to play with perception, so we see pain as PT. That painful area in the body, I see it as PT, and, and it's therefore pleasurable. You can do that with all the way through the jhanas. So I could see the same painful spot as happiness or stillness or nothingness 
or, or whatever. Not again. Not I don't think the eighth jhana, but um, now it's not. When I say that, it, the po- what's the point of that? It's not like oh, that's a pretty handy thing that can come in useful if you're on a uncomfortable on a long bus ride or, or whatever it is. Um, yes, it, it might, but that's not really the point. And it's certainly not the point to try and, li- oh, now I can do that, then I can live a pain-free life. Um, that's not the point either. The Buddha had plenty of pain. I have plenty of pain. Um, that's not the point. The point is it's telling me something about the malleability of perception. It's telling me something about the dependence of appearances and experiences on the way of looking. Dependent on the way of looking, there's this experience. Dependent on another way of looking, there's a different appearance, a different experience. And when I understand the emptiness of all things, in other words, that that all appearances, all experiences do depend on the way of looking, when I really understand that, it empowers, or rather it tells me about, that means that perceptions are malleable and it empowers my, uh, my ability to, to be malleable with perception. So I said, I think it was yesterday, I said, this is the most significant thing. This is the most significant thing in the Dharma. This is the most significant thing, uh, or it's more significant, I think I said, it's more significant than is this is this a correct jhana? Am I in or out of that jhana, right? I said that, yeah? It's the most significant thing, but it's not our primary emphasis or intention on this retreat. So as a practice modality, it's secondary. In other words, just play with that a little bit once you're familiar with PT and another jhana factor. It doesn't become like the main practice. So philosophically, and in terms of its implications for our life and our understanding and our liberation, it's the most significant thing. In, ter- in the context of jhana retreat, it's a secondary practice, just something you can play with now and then. Do you understand the difference? Okay. Uh, so back to the absorption thing. Um, can it be the case that we can be so absorbed that we don't hear sounds, for instance, you don't hear the birds chirp or sing or whatever it is? And the sense doors close. Um, again, the Pali Canon, the Buddha, s- doesn't describe the first four jhanas that way. Um, the Visuddhimagga does, I think. Um, sometimes in the Pali Canon, the Buddha says that happens in the formless jhanas, in jhanas five to eight. But other passages, the Buddha doesn't doesn't say that. He describes them with senses, the senses still open. So obviously the Visuddhimagga is an improvement over what the Buddha said, right? Well, hold on. Make sure you don't have a notion of heresy. Or do you have a notion of heresy? Because some people approach Dharma as axiomatically from the beginning, whatever the Buddha said is true and right and the authority. There's actually probably, I don't know how, what percentage of Buddhists approach Buddhism that way. So how are you doing with that one? Is it possible that someone who lived after the Buddha could improve on the Buddha's teaching? What's that? 
I, I would say exactly the same thing. Why not? And, but I really mean that as a question, an actual question. If you think it's not possible, why? Why is it not possible? How are you thinking about the whole thing that, that something like that becomes not possible? In every other field of human endeavor, there's the possibility of improving on what went... So Newton, Einstein improved on Newton, who improved on Copernicus. S at the moment, they're saying, well, there's maybe something wrong with Einstein's theory. We're going to need to improve on that pretty soon. So that's just an interesting... I'm not going to go into I've talked about it in other situations, but let's, if we say... If so either, either you just have the Buddha's right, and then it's not a question. How do we decide about, do the senses close? Do I hear the birds, or do I not hear the birds? So if you decide the Buddha's right, you hear the birds, okay? If you decide it's possible that someone could improve on the Buddha, then it's a bit more open. If you ask me, did anyone in the history of Buddhism improve on the Buddha? Or in certain aspects of the Buddha's teaching? I would say, yeah, I think Nagarjuna did. I think he took what the Buddha kind of um, uh, said kind of uh, a little bit, but didn't expand on too fully. If you know the Kachayana Sutta and the middle, middle way between existence and non-existence, it's all, to me, it's all there in the Pali Canon. And Nagarjuna took it and really expanded it and worked it and took its implications. And to me, really, uh, there's an improvement. I'm not thrusting this on anyone, but just if you ask me. How are we going to decide about this one? Is the Vasudhimaga saying your senses close, you can't hear the birds? Is that an improvement or not an improvement? I mean, it certainly is, we're talking about a better absorption, right? more intense absorption, because you can't hear anything. Must be better, right? More is more, more is better. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Um, again, I want, uh, I'd like us to use our intelligence. If we're going to say it's better, why is it better? Why is it better that more absorption is better? And that will connect, again, back to what I was talking about at the beginning. How am I thinking? How am I conceiving of the whole jhanas? How am I conceiving of awakening? And how am I conceiving of the jhanas in their place to awakening? So why is it that more absorption would be better? If, if You have to kind of explain the whole, what are we doing? Where are we going? What are we doing with jhanas? And you can, there's, there's, there's conceptions that, again, conceive of jhanas as like, yeah, it must be like, if I really get this laser beam attention, then that's better because insight arises from a laser beam attention that can dissect momentary reality into that super fast mom momentary passing and arising of the aggregates, and that's ultimate reality, and I've seen that through my laser beam attention, if I think that's the ultimate insight. We've, I've been through all this, I'm not going to repeat it, but... Is more better? What is the fruit of that more absorption? And again, it's again can turn things around. Hang out with people who have that degree of absorption, or who say they have, or, or whatever. Hang out with them. Learn about how they are, how their life is, how their insight is. Talk to them about deep insight things. Is is does it bear fruit? Well, what fruit does it bear? So, absorption. I would say it's, it's infinite. However absorbed we are, again, the question here is, what work, what am I trying to do in practice, in this moment, in this jhana, what, or with this PT, what am I trying? I'm trying to get more absorbed. 
But it's n I can never reach the end of that. Someone says, oh, I didn't hear the birds. Another person says, oh, well, uh, someone was sawing off my neck with a chainsaw and I didn't feel anything. It's like, okay, that person's better than that. But it doesn't matter. What's the fruit? But basically, in terms of work and play, it gives us a direction. And however absorbed I am, I can be more. But I don't need to worry so much about it. It's just a little bit more. It's not like, do I have it? Do I not have it? Is it, is it a genre because I can still hear the birds? It's not that question. It's just, it gives you a direction that's open-ended. And that, in a way, takes the pressure off. And, and it, it avoids this whole question of, do I have it, do I not have it? Do you understand? So the work with that one, when you're suffused in the first S, it's just done. I've done it, okay, I don't have to bother about it. With this one, it's just a constant kind of part of the creative working and playing. Is it possible to get more inside it? Is it possible to get really, really into it? Uh, and it's open, but it, so it's a direction that invites subtle work and play, but it's not something I'm going to fret about. One day might be better than the other, it doesn't matter. Okay, S-A, uh, two S's in the middle of Sassy, um, sustaining, sustaining the um, PT, or if in the case of the first jhana, or whatever is the primary nimitta of, of whatever jhana you're working in, and sustaining the attention on that, on that. These two as well, I would say uh, they're infinite. Um, and they're infinite in their possibilities. So however much um, we sustain, uh, we can always increase the sustaining. And if you look closely enough, and I don't want you to do this at the moment, if you look closely enough, you, you, you can see that there's micro nanoseconds, even if you have so sustained, the attention is so, so sustained, I just have to look at it in a certain way and see that there's micro nanoseconds where it wasn't. But don't do that. And I'll explain why at the end. Um, so it's, but it's a direction. I'm working towards, okay, okay, this is right now what I need to work on, really sustaining, really keeping the mind on this subtle object, on this refined object. Um, or if it feels like there's gaps in, in the PT, again, if I, or the happiness or whatever it is, if I look at it closely enough, I will see gaps. Yeah? So, again, it's not something, it's something to bring a little more discernment, intelligence to. And it's just, it's just however sustained those things are, they can be more sustained. So I'm working. They're a direction of work, a direction of play, as opposed to an achievement thing and a definition thing. I define it was, it wasn't a jhana because it was all going great and then I heard one bird chirp. So at that, at that second there, I was out of the jhana and then the next second I was back in. It's all just, it's not that helpful to think that way. Just work on more sustaining. S-A-S-S-I. The I is for intensity. So in this case, if we're talking about the first jhana, it's the intensity of PT. And I would say that actually doesn't matter. So again, the, the tend very common tendency would be like, well, it must be better if it's more intense, right? It, no, it actually doesn't matter. It has to be strong enough that it's pleasant, um, and, and that's it. The intensity will vary over time, you will notice. You will also notice if you play with certain things, sometimes there's things you can do that build the intensity. Over time with the first jhana, like, I mean, you know, a lot of time in and out of the first jhana, a lot of marinating, a lot of experience and skill developing with it, the intensity will actually get less intense. It's like that mountain river that I was talking about. 
That's the direction of maturation, not more and more intensity. So there's a certain way that the intensity of the first jhana, um, A, doesn't matter, and B, will anyway, in its own time, uh, get less intense. S-A-S-S-I-E is for enjoy, which sometimes I find myself having to say to people, it's almost like you want to meditate with a flashing neon sign that says enjoy, 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 enjoy. Um, Sometimes uh, it's almost like you say, you know, it may be that if you just really seek to maximize enjoyment in the moment over and over with whatever ingenuity and creativity and play you want, that that will basically take you where you want to go and whatever needs to happen will happen just from the intention to maximize enjoyment. It's very different from is this it, is this not it, am I doing it right, etc. But how many times have, have I heard um, from, from, from uh, retreatants practicing jhana how difficult it is to allow oneself to really enjoy, to fully enjoy. And how so often we, we notice there's something holding back or something blocking or preventing. And sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a, a verbal. We actually say, oh, this, this can't be right. This can't be I don't know what they're teaching here, but it's not proper. It's not proper dharma, or whatever it is. Um, sometimes, um, or more often, it's actually more an energetic thing. We actually just feel ourselves holding back or preventing, or um, and then doubt comes. Is this really okay, etc. Sometimes it's because of one's past, maybe particular kinds of religious upbringings that kind of stress that they're, you know, anything spiritual or religious can't uh, has you know, can't have enjoyment, have anything to do with it. Sometimes it might be our Dharma background, our Buddhist Dharma background that has, again, encouraged um, a sort of uh, snobbishness around enjoyment. Um, again, all because of a certain certain views around what we're going and then certain views that get kind of entrenched in terms of persona and all the rest of it. So what this is so common, this is really, really common. What, what needs to happen with this? Sometimes a person needs to actually inquire with themselves or with a friend or with the teacher or whatever, actually what are the views and what am I believing here and what's actually at the root of this, um, this psychology, this belief? Perhaps more often though, it just gets fixed without a big psychological process. It just gets fixed moment to moment. Okay, I notice I'm a little bit holding back the, the last E of sassy. Can I just enjoy it? What would it? Can I just, this moment, can I just find, can I just really savor it and, and relish it? Can I just really open to it? So you're just moment to moment encouraging the enjoyment. And that is changing the psychological habit patterns, uh, the deeply entrenched psychological hap- habit patterns around enjoyment, around spirituality, etc. So more often I've noticed it can be healed, that, that, that pattern, can, that holding, that prevention can be healed just, just by moment to moment, again and again. I don't have to have a big psychological process about it, but sometimes some people do. It's really helpful to inquire into that. So the work, the play, you know, it's, it's very... Um, 
labile, it's very responsive, it's very agile. What is the work play right now? What do I need to do right now? And sometimes it is enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. Maximize the enjoyment. Again, how, how powerful that um, it's not quite good enough. It's not as good as it was yesterday. It's not as etc. And that micro uh, tendency of the psychology of the, of the view to um, poo-poo what we have or to find fault, to look actually what, what happens is of everything we could pay attention to, something nice is going on, something that could be better, we pay attention to the thing that could be better. It's an it's a inclination of attention even more than it is uh, of actual thought. No, this really isn't that good. That's quite a gross level. Sometimes it's just where the attention goes. I'm fussing over what's not quite right. So if I oh, just enjoy what you have, enjoy the good thing. That's a, that's sometimes that's the emphasis that needs to be there. So as such a great gift in terms of re, re-educating, reprogramming the, the, the psyche. Over and over, over, these micro moments bring psychological change. And at other times, um, you know, it's pleasant, it's nice, it's good, it's going well, the mind is definitely stable, it's good feeling, whatever it is, PT sukha, whatever. But there's just a slight, very, very slight dullness to what's happening, not falling asleep or anything. It's just, it could be. One, one needs to actually bring more presence. We're talking very subtly, bring more aliveness, bring more um, alertness. One needs to actually exercise more experimentation and play rather than just sit there and it's okay, it's good, um, it's fine. Probe more, whatever it is, in play with that intensity up and down, um, play with the modes of intention, etc. So sometimes we something's pleasant. We say, "Oh, that's good." But actually, what we need to do, for example, is now can I can I really ramp up the intensity of the attention in this moment and really penetrate that? Um, so often, as I said, this this business of intensity of attention, many people are not because you don't get taught that in school. So we don't act, we need to familiarize ourselves. What what is it in this moment? What does it feel like? And how do I do it? Turn the intensity up, for example. But that will take me, for in some moments, to another level. At other times, it will be uh, more just, you know, the receptivity. At other times, it will be don't fuss with trying to make it better. Just enjoy it. So what we need to do at any moment is a constantly shifting, col- uh, you know, shifting ground, kaleidoscope, etc. What's quite common, I mentioned this, for instance, this uh, experience of light, of sort of white light or, or golden light. That's, that's pretty common. Um, I call that a secondary nimitta. It's a secondary sign uh, that, the, um, that the samadhi is deepening. And the primary one, again, if we're talking about the first jhana, the primary one is the PT. Um, so what can happen is the bright, uh, the, the bright light starts to get very interesting. Um, and the PT is there as well. So this is quite important. Can I blend them? Because the light is good and it's helpful and it's a sign, but can I mix them? So they're almost like they're just two aspects of the same thing, two facets of the same uh, yeah, thing. Um, 
so that if I'm kind of probing, if I'm probing the PT, it's the same as probing the light. I have the experience that probing the PT is probing the light. And if I'm probing the light, because I can probe the light as something that will take me deeper into the PT. In other words, they're just, they're aspects of the same phenomenon. If I can't blend them, then I have to be really sure what's primary and what's secondary. And the light is secondary. Just leave it. It's fine. It's fine. It's a good sign, but it's not the primary thing. Um, the primary thing is the PT, and that's what I'm trying to really get into. But oftentimes it is possible to, do you understand what I mean, mix them together? It's almost like visually entering the light is the same thing as entering the, the PT, for example. We're doing okay? Is that? Uh, the two, they're both referring to steadiness. One is steadiness of the attention, and one is steadiness of uh, the primary nimittus, the steadiness of the PT. In other words, it doesn't go away for a second and, or whatever and come back, or if it's a second jhana, it's the happiness or whatever. So two kinds of sustaining. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know we could stop there or i could try and finish today because i'm not like i said i'm not sure i'm going to i could be able to come in tomorrow so is it too much or should i just push on for now okay um all right we use this term mastery um and all this is part of developing mastery mastery is not about measuring the self and kind of uh, getting brownie points and ego stuff uh, it's about um, working with the jhanas in a way that they're going to really uh, be most fruitful. So, what happens? Here I am meditating. Now I've gotten into the first jhana and it's trundling along very nicely. And then something happens. I've just been thrown out of that realm. I'm not even sure what happened. I've just been ejected. Um, uh, or it kind of was our begin. It feels like it's losing power a little bit, and then uh, then it's gone. So after. Well, actually, you can you can try this from the beginning. Once you f once you feel like, um, okay, this must be the territory of the first jhana, sort of. When that happens, when you lose it, see if you can just remember it. Just remember back the first jhana or whatever it is. Yeah. So just see if you can do that. It was a recent experience. It was alive. Just remember it back. Just summon it back. It's a very delicate light movement. Of course, sometimes you won't be able to, and you'll have to go back to your uh, base or springboard practice, or if you're in another jhana, you might, you might find a, a jhana lower down or, or whatever. Um, towards the end of a so these are all things you can try. Um, towards the end of a sitting, if you're not completely out of energy, um, you could practice just a couple of minutes or whatever, two or three minutes, five minutes, you could practice deliberately going from, let's say you were in the first jhana or thereabouts, you deliberately go from there to, to a kind of more normal consciousness. You just drop, just come out of it deliberately. Spend some time there, a few moments, a few whatever, and then see if you can come back to the first jhana. Just jump straight back into the first jhana. So you're more deliberately jumping. Yeah. All this, all this what I'm going to give you ideas to try. It's all very light. It's just, it's just fun and games. It's just play. 
I mean, it is part of mastery, but you have to have a very light attitude to it. You're just playing with perception, basically, playing with consciousness, playing with realms. Um, now, we talked about walking meditation instructions, right? So, should I just briefly go through that again? If you can, should I? So, yeah. Um, so, you know, again, all this applies to where is my where is my learning edge playground? So, let's say it's I'm I'm now getting used to the first jhana. I've been in and out, and uh, and it's super exciting, and uh, I'm into it. So, when I go to the walking period. Um, I stand at, at one end of my walking path, and I just see. Can I can I remember back? The well, actually, um, yeah. Let's say let's let's say this. Can I remember? Can I go to the energy body? Remember back the first jhana, okay? And I just stand there. Maybe PT comes, and I just stand and uh, get into the PT and and work with it, suffuse it, etc. The same the same deal. And I stand there as long as it takes, or as long as I want to. So I could spend the whole walking period just standing there, and it becomes a standing period. It's fine, okay? Or after some minutes, when I feel like, okay, I've, I've, there's the PT, and I'm kind of really, yeah, it's really yummy. I'm really into it, whole body, everything. Then I can begin to walk. And the question is, can I keep that focus? Can I keep the, 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 the primacy of the PT around as I'm walking? And how fast do I have to walk to do that? So the interesting thing is I might need to walk really fast or I might need to walk really slow or I might need to walk. So I have to be really responsive to find what is the pace. All of this is responsive, sensitive and responsive. And I can stop anywhere on the path and get into the PT again go to the end, take my time, however long I went. Basically, I'm walking up and down in the PT and focusing on the PT in that bubble and enjoying and opening and probing that bubble. Yeah? That's the basic walking instructions. We can come back to that. But now, some of this, what I'm going to put out now, actually, kind of, you have to be a little careful with the pacing of when you try it. Um, but... After you've had um, enough experience or familiarity with the first jhana and the PT, then let's say you're in the lunch queue and it's not your turn to dole the food on your plate, but you're in the lunch queue. And can I be there in the lunch queue and just just get remember back the PT and, and maybe even the whole jhanic state? And maybe you get it back, and then can I get into it for, you know, 30 seconds, a minute? If it's a really slow lunch queue, you can, however, you know, long. Or you're having a cup of tea in the lounge or the library. And just let me see, just can I find the PT? Can I, is it there? Can I summon it? Can I remember it? And then get into it. Or you're walking down the corridor here. Let's just see, I walk down the corridor. Let's see if I can walk down the corridor in the PT. I'm just remembering or summoning it, very, very light. Or you're sitting on the toilet, or you're lying down in bed before, wh whatever. So what you're really doing is deliberately remembering the, the state, deliberately remembering the perception, actually. And, and the subtlest of intentions, the subtlest of intentions to recall it. So. You have to be. You have to have enough familiarity 
with the PT and the jhana for this for to begin to try this. You don't want to try it too early because it would just be a bit frustrating. Sometimes a, a little whisper, a silent whisper in the mind, for instance, rapture, which is one of the translations of PT or bliss or whatever, or PT if you if you want Pali, just like a grain of something into the chitta and it does its magic. The mind as samadhi gets deeper and deeper, the mind becomes more and more suggestive. Very, very subtle suggestions actually ha- work their magical power. So, but all this needs enough familiarity. Don't, like I said, you don't want to try it too early or put too much pressure on. This is the sort of thing that in one-to-one interviews, I might, I might wait till I suggest this to a person. You get the sense, and sometimes you can... Sometimes I'm find myself more aware that it's available. It's like it's almost like you can feel it in, in them, but the person hasn't realized that it's just available yet. So why don't you try this? Um, eventually, you can begin, like I described in the walking period, actually you can begin your sittings that way. You can begin uh, begin with PT, begin with the first jhana, or if the third jhana is your uh, learning edge playground, you begin with the third jhana. This very, very subtle intention, etc. Now, of course, sometimes while you're still working on that, sometimes you're going to try it, and y- you, you know, okay, rapture. Okay, rapture. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, you know, five, ten minutes max. If it's not igniting, it's not igniting. Fine, back to the back to the base practice. But in time, this this becomes more than anything else the way you get into jhana. You just Remember it. You just have this subtlest of intention. Um, so this, as I said, is part of part of uh, part of the the the, the, the elements of mastery. Um, we have to be careful with energy here because one of the functions of the base practice or the springboard practice is actually that it gives energy. You build energy through it. So if you just start right away with the PT, sometimes it will go for a little while, but the whole sitting will be it will be sooner in the sitting when you kind of run out of it, sometimes. Other times, not. So it kind of, it's a bit, the analogy I use sometimes is like a, a long jumper ha- needs a run-up. But, but it doesn't, w- again, it's one of those analogies that really doesn't work when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> because there are some long jumpers that don't need run-ups sometimes. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll rework that one. So, um, but but the base practice functions sometimes. In other words, we sometimes we might find the PT right great, but then 15 minutes later, it's all just dissipated. We didn't have enough energy built up from the base practice. But it's still worth playing with. At that point, okay, go back to the base practice. Doesn't matter. What's more, what's more important here is the malleability. You know. Um, so when you get to that point, and again, you need to, you don't, don't don't hurry all this. Some people, it's like you have. You know, they're hearing all this and they want to try it immediately and it's too soon. Other people, um, they oh, I couldn't possibly do that. That sounds completely advanced and outlandish. And actually, they're ready for it. So w- talk with us about it. You know, try a little bit. It's all very light, but probably wait for these things. And at first, not every time, just occasionally try. Okay, I'm going to my sitting now and let's see if I can get it just by subtle intention. But not every time. Uh, but eventually, it is possible. Um... Okay, then I'm sitting and it's all going really well. W- what do I what do I do? Uh, or how do, what do I do then? I sit and I sit more and I sit more. I basically sit as long as it's good. And good means as long 
primarily as good as this jhana is good, marinate. So yes, there's a place for moving quickly between jhanas, but that's got a very minor place. Much more we want to marinate, sit as long as this uh, jhana is sustainable and feels good. So this, this marination business is so important, you know. Um, we want to work towards like, so, you know, let's say a minimum, minimum I'm able to sit in really nice PT, really pretty absorbed for an hour. Let, let's just throw something like that out for a minimum if I don't have to go to my work job or, or whatever it is. If I'm, if I'm, you know, zipping through one to eight, let's say, I, can, I just zip through one to eight and then I come back down eight to one and that's my practice and I practice the jhanas. My question is, is that making much difference to your life? Really honestly ask yourself, is that making much difference? What difference is it making? How much difference? And if it's not, why are you, why are you practicing that way? Why would I keep doing that? Maybe someone's taught me that way, maybe that's my understanding of the text or whatever, but why? The point of all this is to make a difference, a real, profound, liberating, beautiful difference. A whole depth of resource and all the other stuff we talked about. So m the marination is what's going what's to, one of the primary things that will really make the difference. So I'm sitting as long as I can with my within my playground, m let's say that's the PT of the first jhana. And then at some point, I start to run out of batteries, the whole thing, my energy goes a little bit. Um, so either the PT begins to subside, mind starts to get a bit more distracted, or areas of the body start to get uncomfortable, uh, pain or whatever. Is it possible to resurrect it? So I've run out of batteries, but sometimes it's almost like you get, you get a little emergency supply somewhere that you can, that you can uh, tap into. And I just resurrect the PT, find a way, and it comes back for some minutes, perhaps. Maybe, you know, this is all very variable, maybe you get a couple of shots at sort of an extra five or ten minutes just by resurrecting it. So just the fact that it disappeared doesn't mean you can't somehow find a way to get it back. Um, maybe that involves going back to your base or springboard practice, etc. But at a certain point, it's like, okay, there's no more juice in the tank. It's not going to come back. Um, then time to do something different. Either you get up, you do walking meditation, standing meditation, or you just go and have a cup of tea. Go and relax, rest the chitta, um, uh, appreciate, look at the beauty outside, put, put the mind in that just restful, open, light gratitude. Maybe it's time for your yoga practice or whatever it is. Maybe you go for a walk, but there will be there will be times in this kind of practice where you need to rest. You just need to rest if we're doing it this way. And it's sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. You actually need to rest and recharge. <coughs> so, again, you have to be a little careful about the pacing of when you, when you begin to try this stuff. But eventually, as I mentioned, part of mastery is that you can go for a walk, not just walking meditation, but you can go for a walk in your bubble of PT and giving that the primary attention. Or you can go for a walk in your bubble of peacefulness of the third jhana or stillness of the fourth jhana, whatever. And your primary focus is on that quality, that primary quality, stillness, peacefulness, PT, whatever it is, and you're really enjoying it. And you're not really having to w worry about where the feet place themselves, etc. So again, 
when is it time to introduce this? Introduce trying to play with this. You can talk to us and find out, uh, or just try it. You don't want to put too much pressure, and you have to be a little careful with the pacing here. But at first, it's all just it's all just games. So uh, okay, let's see if I can walk from here to that tree over there in PT, and maybe it's you know 50 yards or whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, gradually you can extend that. But that this is part of the the fun, part of the um, playing, and part of the mastery. No pressure, very light. It's really, it's really just play playfulness. Um, let's say you're sitting, and um, it's time to come out the jhana. Now, I, you know, the lunch bell goes, and it's like, if you're into it, it's like, who cares about lunch? Um, and that's a very healthy response. And then there's something you remember. Oh, I have the lunch wash up to do, so I need, I need my lunch. So, so then, okay, I need to end. And uh, coming out, so sometimes at, f at first coming out of a jhana, you need to do it quite slowly because it's really quite an altered state. And so if you just open your eyes and jump up, it might be, it might be a bit disorienting, jarring. So when you're, when you're new to certain states, I would suggest quite coming out quite gradually. But secondly, as part of that, sometimes, why don't you see if it's possible to kind of keep the jhanic quality around? Um, keep a connection with that and have that even be the primary focus. So, okay, I'm going now to lunch or whatever it is. Am I sitting? Open the eyes. As I open the eyes, um, I'm, I'm still really in touch with the PT, if we're talking about the first jhana or whatever it is. Um, as I get up still, as I move, move out, maybe as I move out, I, I begin to lose it. So I just stop a little bit, see if I can get it back and move it again. Move again. Um, again, it's all it's all... Um, playfulness. I'll say this again, but when we get to the higher jhanas, or l you don't need to go, uh, you don't need to come out in sequence. So right now we're talking about the first jhana. Let's say you're working on the third jhana. When you come out, you don't need to go, okay, two, one, three, two, one. You don't need to do it, just as you don't need to get, you don't need to go one, two, three to get into the third jhana. So sometimes you can do that, that's just because that's the game you've decided to play that day. Otherwise, you could do three, one, two, and then come out, or whatever, or three to zero, or whatever. But you certainly don't need to do that. Okay, a couple of things, in a way, implicit in what I've said, but uh, it's so important. A um, couple of things about effort, um, patience and perseverance. Um, things... The more you do this, the more you realize that the state of the chitta and the perception, um, there can be quantum jumps in a split second in, in this kind of practice. Um, often unexpectedly, nothing's really happening, nothing's really happening, suddenly there's an opening. If I'm getting dejected and despondent when nothing is happening, and I'm getting impatient, and I'm kind of giving up the uh, alertness and and refinement of my antennae, that very attitude will prevent these quantum jumps happening because I've turned something off. But if if you can keep them alive, in other words, don't get sucked into impatience, don't get sucked into a view of, oh, this I'm terrible or whatever, um, then your antennae are there and it's really quite remarkable how quickly things can shift. There's just a quantum leap and suddenly a door is there and you can go through it. So that's part patience and perseverance because that kind of thing is possible.
But patience and perseverance with playfulness, really, really important. Meaning, um, do I need to be a bit more active here? Do I need to kind of bump up the sense of presence, uh, the aliveness? Do I um, need to make sure my antennae are attentive uh, to subtleties? Do I need to try different things? Um, do I need to play with the subtle effort levels a bit more, a bit less? So patience and perseverance, but with playfulness. And always this question, what needs emphasizing? What needs prioritizing right now? Right now in this moment, what needs emphasizing? What needs priority, prioritizing? Is it in this moment, or for this little stretch of time, that uh, the concentration, the stability of attention is what needs uh, on the object, on the breath, or the primary nimitta, the PT, or whatever? Is that, is that what needs the emphasis right now, the priority? Or is it the subtlety of attention that needs the emphasis and the priority now? Or is it the surrendering? Or is it the spreading? Or is it the maximizing of the enjoyment moment to moment? These are all different emphases. Okay, now for this little stretch in this, in this practice period, that's what I'm emphasizing, or that's what needs emphasizing. This is what I mean by a kind of playfulness, ma uh, agility, responsiveness, willingness. Some of you might have heard um, the instruction uh, to review a jhana after you out. Has anyone heard that before? A couple of people, yeah. Um, so this a little bit gets interpreted different ways, but I I'd say one of the things is, uh, one of the questions to ask is, was there anything new that I learned there? Was there anything new for me? Anything helpful that I learned? In other words, there's something happened that felt like it was an opening, an improvement, a deepening, or whatever in some way. Was there anything different that I did, perhaps? Anything at all? And just to remember it at that point before you get up and try it again. And it might have been a coincidence, it might not have been that thing, but it might be, yes, that it was that thing that you did or did differently or a different weighting or emphasis or whatever. In the larger scale of things, you might want to check, am I neglecting the first and second jhana, for instance, as a more of a macroscopic checking, reviewing. Sometimes what you often hear is part of the reviewing of a jhana after jhana is to r review the fact of its impermanence. So lest you mistake a jhana for a permanent thing. Um, I find that a little puzzling because it's completely obvious, or it should be completely obvious that it's impermanent. Um, it should be completely obvious, or it becomes much more obvious with time that it's also not an achievement of the self. A jhana is a dependent on certain causes and conditions coming together. And the more you practice, the more that become, should become glaringly obvious. There's actually very little danger to get attached to, to expecting a jhana to be permanent, and, and also very little danger to kind of the self getting grandiose. I, I think. Um, so it's dependent on causes and conditions. A jhana is also, so it's definitely impermanent, it's dependent on causes and conditions, it's also empty. In terms of its, the, the deeper levels of its emptiness, 
don't do that yet. Don't contemplate its emptiness yet. Even some of you won't quite know what that means. But if you're familiar with emptiness practice, leave that aside. It's something we'll come back to later as an option. And that's not part of reviewing um, a jhana. And also, it's microscopic impermanence. Don't, don't do that either. That, that will not be helpful at this point. We don't want to deconstruct jhanas too soon. We want to let them construct. Um, Deconstructing a jhana too soon is really like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I've actually missed the point. We can always deconstruct later. Um, What we want is actually to consolidate, to see it and experience it as something continuous and homogenous, not impermanent with lots of holes in it and not full of its opposite, uh, etc. Okay, last thing. Outside of formal practice, and perhaps when you're doing your work job or you're just you know, having shower or whatever you're doing, um, you know, there are times when the chitta needs to rest. You really need to not put too much pressure on it. Um, but there's a spectrum there because still you can have quite a, a kind of a light contact or light presence light sense of the presence of the, of the primary jhana factor, the PT or whatever. But the whole flavor of that can be, if, if so either you can completely rest, just let the whole thing go, or you can be like, I'm moving down the corridor really in this PT or, or going for a walk in this PT. Or you can just be moving around with a, just a light sense of the flavor of, of the primary jhana factor, uh, whether it's PT or sukha or whatever it is. Generally speaking, the whole sort of tone and uh, tenor of the practice outside of sitting should be really quite light, really quite easy, uh, open. Just this light mindfulness, open, light, easy. That's the, that's the vibe of things. We also, outside of formal sittings, and again, remember, all this is jhana practice, all of it. Um, we also want to be vigilant to the, the coming and going of the hindrances. Um, and not take them personally, if that's possible, and not believe them. But we're, we're aware, because they come and they're, really, they're like poison darts. The hindrance comes and it spreads its poison in, into the chitta, and then it starts coloring the view of the self, it starts coloring the view of other people, it starts coloring the view of the perception, the view of the retreat. So chit- uh, Hindrances are like poison darts. We need to be really quite aware when they're around, not believe them, not take them personally. Okay, so that's good. I, I got through, we got through what I was intending. So that, what that means for tomorrow is I may well be in, um, or depending on what happens at hospital, I may not be in, but at least we've done, we've done that. Um,